Welcome to the Action Network Podcast, the number one show for the invested sports fan. Without further ado, that's what the game's all about. All of a sudden, you feel like you can't miss. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Action Network podcast. I'm your host, Matt Moore, for this episode of the NBA edition. Free agency's begun. I've slept like four hours. There's like $3.17 billion that's been doled out. Let's break it down. We're going to talk about futures. We're going to talk about reactions. But most importantly, we're going to check in on how Rob Perez Worldwide Wob is surviving and how he's justifying his existence as a Knicks fan. We're also going to talk to Sam Amick, senior NBA writer for The Athletic, and get the latest on what he thinks about all the deals and how they went down, etc. That's coming up a little bit later. But first, joining me today, Rob Perez, senior NBA producer for the Action Network. You know him as Worldwide Wob. So you went through the gamut of emotions yesterday when Kevin Durant decided to sign with the Nets along with Kyrie Irving uh, and a great tweet captured by somebody that showed all of the different stages that you went through yesterday. Where are you right now with the Knicks and your feelings about the decisions that they've made with Bobby Portis and Julius Randle and Taj Gibson and like 11 other undersized power forwards and Wayne Ellington and Reggie Bullock and like all this that they've done to your deals, almost all of them, what are your thoughts on where the Knicks actually are after Kevin Durant snubbed them? I see what you're trying to do there by listing all of those power forwards, trying to instigate me into a meltdown, but I'm not going to do it. I'm still, the sun rose today, and the Knicks of years past, by this point, waking up today, would have given Tobias Harris, Stephon Marbury, and Sidney Dean from White Men Can Jump max contracts because that's what they do. When they miss out on their original targets, the A-listers, they go out there and they recklessly spend. They've been doing it for two decades. And you can't blame them if the reports are true that they didn't even offer Durant in the first place. We could argue that all day, but they've been burned in the past by an uninsured contract guarantee in the form of Amari Stoudemire. So if they trust their doctors that this could be a similar situation, then you kind of just have to ride with it. But in the end, it sucks, right? It's embarrassing because the JV just hooked up with the prom queen in the form of the Brooklyn Nets, right? They're the main attraction now. And the Knicks have always had that, regardless of how much they've stunk, is that they're the team. They're New York City's team. But I see the vision in terms of transactions and X's and O's. I see a bunch of, you just listed all those names. Guess what? They all come off the books in 2021. And we're going to do this again in two years where the Knicks have two max spots. They're in a position to take home a star or disgruntled someone that wants a trade. They're bringing in guys that clearly have no initiative other than just getting paid and working hard because they want to develop their young guys in Kevin Knox and R.J. Barrett and Mitchell Robinson and Dennis Smith Jr. So they're not bringing in these alphas that demand the ball like, a let's say, a boogie that aren't going to make their teammates better. So I see the vision. I applaud them for continuing to follow through on it because the Knicks have never had patience in the past. But in the end, yeah, I would certainly like to have Kyrie and Kevin Durant on my team this morning. Uh, but what else are the Knicks supposed to do is my question back to you. So they got to fill out the, the floor somehow. They got to get to $98 million, And that's definitely true. I actually don't mind what they did. Like, I don't mind their, their short-term deals. I like Julius Randle a lot. Tosh Gibson is a great veteran. Like, everybody in the locker room will be better for having Taj Gibson around. Uh, I do kind of disagree that Julius Randle isn't going to, like, Julius Randle does think he's, like, a top-level star. 
Uh, I think he'll probably play that way, and that's okay. They need somebody to have, like, initiative, and him and Barrett will form a pretty good pick-and-roll combo if Barrett ever passes, ever. But my thing is, when you say, like, they're going to be right back here in two years, like, that's where I think that things go haywire. Don't, don't, don't go towards that. Like, you, the biggest problem here is it might make them too good. Like, they need to be bad again so they can get another high draft pick and maybe, like, get, the, the lottery's been flattened, so you could be decent but still have a really good shot at a top three pick. And there's some talent next year, I think, that's considerably better than what you had in this draft. Like, why not go that route and try and rebuild that way versus doing this and then, you know, basically spinning wheels and in two years getting getting turned down again? Like, why put yourself up for the misery again? Why keep going back to the, free, the star free agent well? Prove you get your solid organization first. Like, fix your organization first. Well, when I'm talking about the space available in 2021, let's remember that the only players on the books for the New York Knicks are going to be Kevin Knox, R.J. Barrett, and there'll be options on Julius Randle and Mitchell Robinson, team options. So the Knicks have team control there, and they'll have their two to three draft picks. Let's assume they just keep the same picks that they have. They'll have two lottery picks and the Dallas Mavericks first rounder as well uh, on the roster. So they're going to have no choice but to, one, either give those guys the extensions, right? Are they going to pay out Dennis Smith Jr. after his rookie contract is done? They're going to do the same with Nilakino. Those are question marks. Even if they get paid, though, there's only so many players there, and they will have that space available. So it's not so much that the Knicks are – I don't think their mindset is we'll just tank, tank, tank and uh, get rid of all our guys and do this again. I think they're going to be bad. I think they're going to develop three to four main young guys that they do eventually want to pay one day. And they're going to work towards having that flexibility in 2021, revolving hopefully around these kids that are the 19, 20 year old kids. Now we're going to be 22 then and might be, let's say, just legitimate NBA borderline stars. Uh, I think that's the best case scenario here. And having that cap space shouldn't be seen as a bad thing. I see it as options and flexibility. Yeah, Um and they've still got some space left. I just one thing I would keep in mind is like they should keep at least enough of enough cap space open to do what the Grizzlies have done, uh, like with the Warriors deal, where it's like, yeah, no, sure. Well, you need to dump a contract. No problem. We got space. We'll take him on. Oh, yeah, we're going to need a first round pick with that. They need to be doing that. That's something that they need to be pursuing is is I, I've come to refer to as cap laundering. They need to be laundering their cap space in order to get more assets for a young rebuild. <laughs> Yeah, that that's my only critique of uh, the process of clearly what the Knicks are intending to do here with these two-year deals is I would have liked to see them potentially take on Goran Dragic or Jeff Teague. You know, the Heat are desperately trying to create space for Jimmy Butler. Why not take Goran Dragic, who's an expiring contract? Isn't necessarily a guy that's that like a super ball dominant that you have to like worry about in a locker room and get a protected first round pick and a, and a couple of second rounders from Minnesota that wants to clear Teague to eventually get D'Angelo. Like I felt like there was an opportunity out there and the Knicks need to have cap space to your point to do so. So versus just filling it all up on strictly free agents when you have cap space and I'm talking about these flexibility and options. One of those options is the ability to take on these bad expiring deals like the Atlanta Hawks have been the the face of. Like, give us your Allen Crabs. As long as there's a pick with it, we'll take them. I would have liked to see the Knicks do that. Maybe the market isn't as strong as I think it is, but as long as someone like Dragic is out there, 
I feel like the Knicks should be the team putting themselves in a position to continue to stack assets for that 2021 future. Now, as we go forward, obviously, there's going to be we knew this going in that we're recording this podcast on Monday morning. We want to get reactions to Sunday night. But and there's a lot of deals there off the table, but things are shifting every every minute. So just keep that in mind as you listen that we're recording this on Monday morning at around 1115 Eastern time. I have kind of a more existential question for you. Okay, so the Clippers look like they're going to lose out on Kawhi Leonard because he doesn't have anybody to team up with with the Clippers. There's nobody left. Kyrie's gone. Katie's gone. Jimmy Butler's in Miami. Once they figure that three-way trade out, um, Kimba Walker's in Boston. Tobias Harris is back in Philly. There's no other star for Kawhi to team up with. And and going to the Clippers seems like a really good idea if you're like, we're going to come in as the superstar duo and take over this new team and build it. It's a lot different if it's like, oh, yeah, it's going to be me and Andrew Shamit and Zubach and Gallo, the debt does not seem like the same kind of deal. So it looks like they're still going to be the Clippers, while the Lakers are going to be the Lakers, despite the Lakers being infinitely uh, more uh, questionable in their decision-making, let's just say that, over the last couple months. With Brooklyn, are you of the opinion that, like, this is ne- New York's never going to be a Nets town? It's never going to be close. It's always going to be a Knicks town. Is that Am I correct in that? The the Brooklyn Nets could go 82 and 0 and sweep the playoffs and not a soul will show up to their parade at the Canyon of Heroes. They're going to have to do their parade on Flatbush Avenue. This is a New York Knicks town through and through. So why? This is my question is, why are the Clippers always going to be the Clippers no matter what they do? And why are the Nets always going to be the Nets no matter what they do when both the Knicks and the Lakers are run worse and haven't done the things that should get fans more excited for them, even though it's like it's the same city? It's the separate histories for for both teams. I mean, the Lakers have championships and banners and they have showtime. I understand that the Knicks haven't won a title and God knows even before I was born. But there is a history there. You know, that was they they built the Mecca. You know, Madison Square Garden is the symbol of the basketball Mecca. We could argue about that all day, but uh, that's a fact of the matter, at least to me and anybody here on the East Coast. And there's just history there. So that doesn't mean the Nets can't get to that point. We have to remember they just recently moved from New Jersey to Brooklyn. So they're trying to build an identity of their own. You know, expansion teams, unless they start in a city, unless they're the Seattle Supersonics, uh, they have to build an identity in the city and the culture that they're that they're starting in. So the Nets can certainly appeal to younger audiences that are growing up right now looking for a team. If I'm between the age of 10 and 18 and I'm born in the tri-state area in New York, of course I'm going to be attracted to the Brooklyn Nets over the Knicks because they're better, they have the star power, they're local, and I wasn't born with the Walt Clyde Frazier's and the Monroe's and the Ewing's and the Starks. Like they don't, they, they don't have that history yet. So that's the audience I think that the Brooklyn Nets can capitalize on, but that's going to take time, right? They need to show years and years of success before they start eating into a market share the size of the Knicks. It's the same way you come up with something that can compete with Facebook. Facebook is Facebook, whether people like it or it's doing well or not. And it's going to take time to overthrow it if you think your product is good enough, regardless of the type of product that it is. I'm sure they're out there, companies that can take down Facebook, but you don't know about them. And that's for a reason. Yeah, I think it's always interesting just that, and like this offseason is kind of playing out that way. Like everyone like was hyping the Clippers all year. Um, and for good reason. Like, they do have a smart front office. They have managed things well. Ballmer is the kind of owner you want to play for because he's going to spend as much as it takes to win a championship. And he's going to put a, put you in a new building that's going to be your own. And it's like a fresh start. And, yeah, it's just like, yeah, but they're the Clippers. 
I was like, yeah, but then that's, and I, I think it's really interesting that there's just uh, somebody in our, in our slack commented on this during the playoffs. And it's really stuck with me that he was talking about betting. And he was like, the NBA is the only sport in which I bet narrative because it winds up being true more times than not. And that's stuck with me that so often it seems like we have a narrative and then reality forms around that narrative, regardless of the actual facts of the situation. I think that's a really right, weird right. part of, of the sport that we cover. Yeah, that, that's more of a testament to just the NBA where there's always where there's smoke. There's always fire. It's the, the saying is there's usually fire. I think in the NBA, there's always fire. Right. So when we're looking at the current Lakers Clippers situation that the Lakers are all in on Kawhi, obviously, but for both of these teams, one of them is going to miss out on the dude, even if the one that gets them like, what are we doing here after Kawhi signs? There's nobody left out there. Like, There's all the clutch clients the Morris brothers and the Contavious Caldwell Popes. But how are you filling out a roster right now if you're one of those two L.A. teams? And the Clippers are in this situation that is very similar to the Knicks, that we just are going to have to sign as many guys as possible to get us to the salary cap floor, guys that can complement our young dudes, and we'll try this again either next year or in 2021 as well. And is part of the reason for that is that we're the Clippers and they're the Lakers. I can't say yes to that until we see where Kawhi goes, because if he ends up choosing the Lakers, then you can pretty much say, yes, the Lakers having that reputation and that brand may have influenced him regardless of what type of person he is. But we're not there yet because he could still technically sign with either or go back to Toronto and spurn both of them. So narratives certainly are playing a big issue here uh, for free agents, let alone teams. Okay, so I showed some of these to you before, uh, but we're only going to talk about a few, so the numbers will be okay. I'm going to give you the, the Eastern Conference title odds. I just like conference title odds better than title odds. I feel like that's like, <laughs> let's see where you're at when you get into a matchup in the finals and, you know, the Lakers are, are part of this and all this. But the, the, the East is basically de- destabilized. Like, it's destabilized rapidly because the Bucks are losing Brogdon. They're keeping Middleton and Brooke, but I think it's hard for them to get back to that same level next year. I think there's a natural level of regression we can count on. We'll talk about Toronto in just a sec. The Sixers obviously made the changes. Let's assume that they get the three-way figured out with Jimmy going to Miami. They get Horford and Josh Richardson along with Tobias Harris back. The Nets obviously pick up Kyrie. Katie's out for the year. They got DeAndre Jordan. They got Karis LeVert. Uh, they got Spencer Dinwiddie. Celtics have got Kemba Walker. Let's let's the Celtics are likely to get a big with their remaining cap space. We don't know who that's going to be. There's nobody left on the market that's like a. There's nobody that really moves the needle. So let's say it's basically the team that they've got now. And then the Pacers did what they did. You got Bucks at plus one eighty. You got Raptors at plus 300. You've got Sixers at plus 350. Celtics plus 900. Nets plus 900. Pacers plus 1400. If I tell you that Kawhi signs with the Lakers tomorrow or today or at some point, Kawhi's going to LA, who do you who do you think has the best value amongst these teams for Eastern Conference futures? Okay, so if Kawhi's gone. I want to I want to go through my tiers before I give you an answer. So if no Kawhi is there, the Raptors fall out of that top tier in the Eastern Conference. Uh, you would have Philadelphia and Milwaukee. I think it's the two teams that are clear head and shoulders above the rest. And let's just do the Raptors the benefit of the doubt and knock them down to the second tier, not the third tier, just because they're world champs. And I'm going to give them that credit in that second tier. I've got the Raptors. The Celtics is kind of just this team that's there that's going to be a top four seed, but I'm not taking seriously in terms of winning a championship. And I also have the Indiana Pacers there. And that's probably my answer 
uh, to your question, especially at plus 1400, their, their addition of Brock, there's no like sexy names here, but this team was really good before Oladipo got hurt. I mean, they were like top tier defensively. They have a guy that can close. They check the, all the boxes in terms of like, can this translate to playoff basketball? Uh, it was usually a yes for me. And I would continue to ride miles Turner until he develops into the all-star that he should be. So the Indiana Pacers without a doubt would be my betting value for sure, especially at that number. And I would even think they actually have a legitimate chance, regardless of the odds, to come out of there just because of the way they're structured. And then there is that third tier, which is the Brooklyn Nets. And I think it's just that's a tier of potential that they have a big name, that they have a young, they have this system, they have this culture that they could potentially be really good one day, but they are most certainly not there with Kevin Durant on the bench. Yeah, I think I'm with you. Um, the Pacers have to be the best value at plus 1400. They're just undervalued by that market. Um, I probably would want to get a position of taking like the Bucks as an easy, you know, front load, and then taking and then using it as a hedge against a long shot bet. Both the Pacers, I do like the Sixers a lot here. I, I've been thinking a lot about the Sixers because I was low on them all year. You've been high on them because um, you love JoJo. I was really impressed by their performance in the playoffs. And the other thing that I kind of that it took me a while to kind of put into into words. What I realized is I was I was really thinking while I was watching, I was like, they're really good because of Embiid. And when they realize that they're really good because of Embiid and everything is built around Embiid, this team is going to be scary good. And I think these moves actually do that for them. I don't think that's what they wanted. I think they want to keep Butler. But I think it, it, that if you look at it, all right, they're now going to have their their main unit is going to have Simmons a point, Josh Richardson, you know, Tobias Harris, Al Horford at power forward, and Embiid. Okay, so you're looking at now three shooters in Richardson, Harris, and Horford. Horford can shoot from range around Embiid, and Embiid can shoot as well. So you're really talking about like four shooters with one non-shooter. And as far as defensive players, Richardson's a good defender, Simmons is a great defender, Embiid's a great defender, and Horford's a great defender. So you only have one defensive weakness in Tobias Harris. They've only got one guy on the floor at all times that is kind of questionable, and Brown, I think, can build the schemes to optimize them. So I like the Pacers a lot for the value at plus 1,400 because of how unstable the West is, but... I think I'm probably going to be pretty high on the Sixers uh, and probably hitting their over on win total by the end, by the time that those numbers come out from the Westgate next month. They're already out of some of the books um, and they got them in the, in the low 50s. I think there's good value, I think, on the Sixers. I think the Sixers are going to be really good. Yeah, the only thing I'm worried about, like I was with them in the playoffs, is their bench uh, just because they had a six-man rotation and that six-man was Mike Scott and that was it. Like they couldn't even play Boban. So they need they need some help because they have some injury prone guys on that team. And if one of them goes down, what are we doing? But I will say that 76ers fans, there's no way they're losing a minute of sleep after Jimmy Butler's departure, because what you just got in return, Josh Richardson is first team all NBA defender. If, if that's not an actual fact, he should be. So Jimmy Butler's defense is taken care of. And there's a reason why all these teams were offering so much money and scrambling to get Al Horford with him having 200,000 miles on the odometer is because he's such a great compliment to having another star on the team. We saw this in Boston. Like he was arguably the most important player on Boston, not because he was the best, but because of the way he plays. So he can make Embiid so much better because he can one stretch the floor. He's a great defender. He can go get you those in the paint buckets if you need it. He's just so transferable. And that's exactly what Embiid needs is a little less pressure because when it all came on his shoulders, he clearly wasn't ready for that moment in terms of having to do that in a seven-game series every other night. Al Horford is a massive 
stress relief that may be in a better version of Jimmy Butler just because he doesn't need the ball as much. I have a really good feeling it's going to work. Nice. All right, that's Rob Perez. You can find him on Twitter at Worldwide Wob. He's the man. Rob, thanks for joining me, man. You got it. Joining me next on the Action Network Podcast NBA Edition, Sam Amick, senior writer for the Athletic and NBA. He's going to join me. We're going to talk about Kevin Durant, who he covered for a long time. He's just had a long experience talking to Kevin. He had a great feature with him at USA Day a few years ago about that decision. He had a great piece on LeBron James and how LeBron is pitching, taking a step back uh, from being as much of a focal point to let Anthony Davis and Kawhi Leonard shine. That's part of his pitch to them. We're going to talk about those things and a little bit more about free agency and what it's like to cover the league. So, all right, Sam, you had a big piece last week about Kawhi Leonard and LeBron James and how LeBron's pitch was going to be notable in that LeBron's basic, this was like underreported. I thought like people didn't pick up on the story, which I thought was huge from you. That LeBron's basically saying like, I'm willing to take a step backwards. That him giving the jersey to Anthony Davis is a signal that he's willing to take a step backwards in terms of his role on the team. What do you think that that means for him? Like, how do you define like taking a step back to let Kawhi, if he comes and Anthony Davis kind of shine more? Great question, my friend. Thank you for having me. Listen, it means, my understanding anyway, exactly what it sounds like, which is a willingness to take a step back in terms of the optics of the franchise. Now, listen, we know LeBron's brand and his icon status and everything that comes with him is not going to change. But the idea that he would focus far more on elevating AD and Kawhi and maximizing their talents than he would, you know, individual domination and kind of eternal alpha male status. You know what I mean? And it's funny because I wrote what I wrote and certainly it was an informed column in, in terms of, you know, getting very uh, accurate intel from, from his side of things. But my colleague at The Athletic who covers the Lakers, Bill Orham, I thought did a nice follow-up where he also highlighted just the, the stark contrast between the way LeBron is, is indicating that he's going to spend his twilight years with the Lakers uh, in comparison to Kobe Bryant. And the fact that years and years ago, as you know, it's the Dwight Howard free agency meeting where he comes in kind of just like, this is my team, my town. You better catch up. Let me teach you that type of thing. A very different vibe. And LeBron is, he's just a different cat. And he knows where he's at age-wise. He knows where he's at in the league and how he needs help. And he knows that Kawhi's not coming unless he feels comfortable. So as we sit here talking, the wait continues. We don't know uh, if and when those conversations are happening and what's coming next. But I do think it's a pretty massive factor. Yeah, it's interesting because um, you talked about how he's willing to be more of a playmaker. I have, hmm, when I saw that, because one of the things that I'm not sure that LeBron is going to be comfortable with is the most natural progression for him as he gets older is going to be off ball is he needs to be more of a big, like he needs to be more of like the Draymond green type, set a screen, catch the ball, make a play, finish at the rim. Like he's still going to be LeBron. So he's going to be a better finisher than, than Draymond will ever be and a better shooter. Um, But I think that's part of it is like Kawhi, I think is going to want the ball because he's a great isolation scorer and Davis is going to need the ball because he's Anthony Davis. Um, So my thing is like, if, if LeBron's like, no, 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 yeah, I'm willing to take a step back. I'm just going to set you guys up. Then he still has the ball all the time. <laughs> and that's where I start to be like, I don't know how that's going to function because LeBron's just been surrounded by – he's basically been surrounded by weapons for him for so long. I wonder about his willingness to like alter and play differently because we heard last year. It was like, oh, yeah, LeBron's going to play center. Yeah, no, he's going to play off ball. And none of that stuff happened. Well, it's fair – but it's also like, what were the stakes and, and what was the context, right? Like who were his teammates? And that's where, you know, it's one thing to bait and switch Rajon Rondo and Michael Beasley and Lance Stevenson. 
it's another to bring Kawhi Leonard to town and tell him one thing and do another. You do that, then we're going to be eventually writing about locker room problems, relationship problems, and the type of stuff that impacts LeBron's legacy, the stuff that, you know, where Kawhi's voice in that hypothetical situation would matter as much, if not more, than LeBron. I mean, that's just, you know, but that's where there's a ton of nuance here. But you're right. Like, I mean, Amin Alassane, you know, a friend and, and buddy from ESPN had retweeted the LeBron column and said exactly what you just said yesterday, which was, you know, off-season promises from LeBron should be taken with heavy doses of salt. And and I get it. You know, I do 100%. So that being said, uh, it is very deliberate on LeBron's part at this point. The jersey number was, you know, the giving it to AD was definitely meant to be symbolic, not only for him, but to send that message, kind of plant that flag that, that I'm going to be, you know, not me first mode. Um, so we'll see where this goes. I mean, listen, even as you and I sit here chatting, somebody just texted me a, a tweet for, you know, and indicating another national reporter, Rick Buecher of Bleacher Report, claiming that, you know, Kawhi is leaning towards a one-year deal with the Raptors. So that's where the Lakers are, are uh, over their skis right now and just waiting on the edge of the cliff to see if it's a, you know, boom or bust. The, the wait continues, and um, we'll see if this podcast gets out before Kawhi has made his right. decision. The other team that obviously made like the most cataclysmic shifts, I think, yesterday um, on the first day of free agency was definitely the Golden State Warriors, uh, as Kevin Durant joins the Brooklyn Nets along with Kyrie Irving, uh, and they facilitate a deal to pick up D'Angelo Russell, which had, like, I don't know about you, but I got a bunch of, like, huh? Uh, texts from folks around the league that were like, what What do you think this is? And I'm like, I have no idea what this is. It's the Warriors. You know, and there's a lot of reasons for them to be able to do it. Your colleague at The Athletic, Daniel LaRue, kind of wrote about some of the options that they could do. There was some great coverage out of KD out of Athletic San Francisco yesterday about, you know, uh, Marcus Thompson had a great column kind of that touched on how he and KD and Steph never quite had the moment, the run that they deserved together and how it just didn't quite ever come together. My question for you is you've covered KD a long time. Like you've done some in-depth profiles of Kevin before uh, you you've known him and his camp a, a long time. Do you think as much as you, you can know this, do you feel like he and his camp will be happier and more at peace and will be satisfied with this decision to go to Brooklyn? Uh, good question. I, I really don't know the answer. It sounds, I just, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm a little bit, I got recency bias from the marathon that was covering him in his final year with the Warriors. And so my lasting memory right now is just like perpetual frustration, you know, and uh, to the point where it was not to be melodramatic, but it was kind of exhausting even to cover, you know, that, Hey, the mood's good. No, the mood's bad. Hey, the mood's good. Hey, the mood's bad. Not always clear why, you know, I'm a big, I'm a sucker for like, as long as I like understand why certain things are happening in life, I'm good. But once you start looking at a, you know, at a, a pretty nice looking rose and having somebody tell you that, you know, that the, the petals are falling off and it's actually, you know, dead already. And your, your eyes are playing tricks on you. It doesn't make sense. And that's, I know that's a weird analogy, but like that was at times covering these warriors where it was like, man, like y'all got a good thing going here and you can keep it going, but all these weird dynamics keep popping up. So how does that change in Brooklyn? I mean, Marcus Thompson wrote a great column. I know I keep plugging athletic people, Matt. Great 90% of the industry about. works there, Sam. It's okay. Fair point. You know, they, it, the personal dynamics were such where it, I'm really fascinated by it. This is overly simplistic, but it's like, listen, part of what Marcus hit on was that by the time Kevin got to the Warriors, Steph Curry was a married guy with family for years and years. 
uh, Clay's a single guy, but he's also in his own lane. Uh, and, you know, and he's got his kind of friends that he's had forever around him. Like with Kevin, you know, and Andre's an older guy, Draymond became a family guy in the time that Kevin was there. Going to Brooklyn, it's legitimately like Kevin's two best friends in the league or two of his best friends and Kyrie Irving and DeAndre Jordan. And they are single and they don't have strings attached. And it's like, you know, that element I find fascinating. Like you just wanted guys who were at a more similar spot in life than you, which he would probably cringe at because I hadn't, you know, I didn't even mention the basketball. So yes, I understand. He probably thinks they can win a title once he gets healthy, but I'm still surprised because of the business side of things. You're talking about a team with terrible attendance, a team that doesn't move the needle like the Knicks do as bad as they are. You know, the shoe contract stuff is not the same if you're on the Nets versus the Knicks. Uh, all of it that we know he's tried to grow in terms of his off-court business. You know, that needle gets moved more, far more with the Knicks than it does with the Nets. So, I mean, how all that plays into his happiness, we'll see. But, uh, you know, he's decided what he wanted to do. I'm optimistic for him. After years of being like, you know, I, I always said I didn't blame Kevin at all for the decision to go to Golden State. I was just like, I was disappointed because it made the league very difficult to compete in to a point where it felt irrelevant for a lot of teams. And now um, it definitely feels differently balanced. I'm optimistic. I think that, that Kevin can, I think, you know, maybe get the best of all worlds. I do wonder, I think it's kind of interesting in that, I think what, the, what this Warriors team at the end taught us is that there's diminishing returns to winning. That if you win so much for so long, it just can't have the yeah, same yeah. like a dopamine effect on your brain. Uh, as it does early on. I think they were hungry and happy and thrilled in 2017. And after that, it was like, all right, we've done this. That, okay. I mean, yes the- and no. Like, I was there the night, you know, like the night they beat Houston in the second round. Like, there was plenty of dopamine that night. You know what I mean? Like, adrenaline was pumping. They were digging it. Uh, I hear you. Uh, you know, and I also think, it's, you know, you and I have had fun off-air banter, mainly, you know, mainly over text messages about, do they need Kevin Durant? Do they not? And the whole debate about the Super Team Warriors I get everything you're saying. I do think, and this is admittedly, again, oversimplistic, but the fact that this franchise will go down as having, you know, gone three and two in the finals uh, is funny because it doesn't really reconcile with the idea that they were invincible and that they were unstoppable and that the league was boring and that, that everything was predetermined. I mean, three and two doesn't say that, but to your point, there was an exhaustion factor with success, uh, not only physically, but emotionally. And, you know, the media plays a part because every day they're talking about all the ups and downs and, and, you know, exhaustion and fatigue are the words that have come up around the Warriors a lot over the past five, six months. Last thing on the Warriors uh, and where they go from here. So my thing has been for a long time, uh, as everyone's kind of started I thought it was odd that there was been so, so kind of like, oh, well, I guess the Warriors' time in the sun is over. And I'm like, Joe Lacob is moving into the Chase Center. Joe Lacob is not done. Like, Joe Lacob is right. not, that's not why he pays Bob Myers what he does. That's not why he takes the approach that he does. Like, that ownership group has been pretty transparent about their desire to not settle. Like, they are not of the old guard in the NBA. They're like, oh, I had a run and we won some titles and all right, it's time for a rebuild and you know, we made our right, money right, and right. now we'll start cutting corners. And that's why I, I look at this D'Angelo Russell deal and that's, it sets off alarm bells in my head. Cause I'm just like, Joe Lacob does not pay $141 million to be like, Oh yeah. And we got a good player in D'Angelo Russell. That's nice cover. It's a nice bailout option. But to me, this screams of the Warriors have a grander design somewhere down the line for what it is that they want. And I think that that's going to be the emerging story over the next year is 
the Warriors are going to plot to do something else. I would definitely agree with your general premise that I know it's a tired cliche, but call it light years, call it, you know, chestnut, chestnut checkers, you know, uh, there's an element of that with them and they are at least going to attempt to be that way. doesn't mean it's going to work out, but it's not as simple as, Hey, look, we secured a young asset who we overpaid to get something out of the Kevin Durant deal. I think that D'Angelo, to use your phrasing, provides cover for sure with Clay Thompson out. They, they plan on being competitive next year. I mean, you're still talking about now losing Iguodala matters for sure, but you're still talking about, you know, when Clay's back, which they are optimistic, and this is probably overly optimistic, but if it's February, if it's March, Steph, Clay, and Draymond be in the core. And D'Angelo is a guy who can help you offensively. Defense is going to be a, a struggle, certainly. But then, whether it's at the forthcoming trade deadline or at some point thereafter, you know, then you decide how are we feeling about paying this kind of coin to a guy who you know wasn't really uh, supposed to be part of our program in D'Angelo. You figure that out later, but now you got another piece. Now you got a guy who, if his developmental arc continues, I mean, even if he plateaus from last season, that's pretty good. If he continues to get better, that's even better. So uh, I do applaud them for you know that aspect of the deal. They gave up a lot when you're talking about a first to Memphis for Andre, you know, another first to Brooklyn. And, uh, you know, so the cost was higher than I think some people would have anticipated. But, uh, but yeah, they're going to keep maneuvering and trying to figure out what's next because not only does the Chase Center print money, but it, it's certainly, you know, this payroll costs money big time. And, and they got to keep winning games and getting those playoff checks. They're not looking to, to fade off into a, a relevant season. Before I let you go, what's your favorite time of the year to cover the NBA? What's like, your, what's like the moment that you're like, I really love doing this? That's a very good question. I don't know what it says that I don't have an immediate answer. I mean, I enjoy the, you know, the, listen, it's, it's, a, it's an honor to be at the NBA Finals. I have like a personal thing where, you know, I think any media member who's been lucky to be there, I don't know what, what my streak is now, but it's like, you know, for X amount of years in a row, that's a big deal. I used to cover the Sacramento Kings for the Sacramento Bee, and I covered one playoff series and, and five seasons on the beat. Like I, there was a time when I, I got pretty jacked up to see a second round playoff game. So the, you know, in arena stuff is, uh, is kind of an honor and flattering and humbling. So that stuff for sure. While, you know, talking to a Bill Russell uh, after the Spurs beat the heat in whichever year that was. And, and Bill's handing out the hardware, uh, talking about his conversation with Tim Duncan and legacy. Those are the times, uh, you know, when it's a lot of fun. Free agency is a funny one because it's just like, you know, Mental like fireworks everywhere all around the league because of the movement, but the drama does not reconcile with your regular life. I'm standing in my office with a bag of tortilla chips on the ground and a, in a wide open, you know, in a wide open window, staring out to a, a sleepy little street in my town, you know, where there's nobody out there and it's just a regular day. So it's weird. Like my kids are home for summer, and you know, Matt, I've got two young sons, and my wife and boys are doing their thing so it's like you you mentally feel like you're part of this incredible nba drama in july and then it's just like oh yeah i gotta go take out the garbage i forgot about that like (laughs) that's kind of a a weird existence so i enjoy free agency but by the time as you know by the time the fourth of july gets here 
we're all kind of done. Like, all right, can y'all figure out where you're going so we can go uh, enjoy ourselves? Yeah, let's wrap it up. Yeah. Um, right. Last night, uh, like a bunch of things were coming down and they were trying to figure out the warrior sign and trade. And my daughter, who's three, is yelling down the stairs, Daddy, puppets! Because I do shadow puppets with her at night before she goes to bed. And she was just like, <laughs> nope, don't care who's signing, don't care who's getting traded, right. you're doing shadow puppets with me. And that is the end of the conversation. Here's a fun, real quick, to take you back on that. I think this is harmless enough. People know that, you know, that we talk to everybody in the league, right? So... You know, I I got a little of a uh, like a break the other day in terms of like you know the the workload and we uh, I barbecued some steak and and made dinner and everything and and a lot of times you have phone calls out you don't know when the phone's gonna ring and so it's like weird serene home life and things are good and I'm looking forward to eating my my warm steak and then my phone rings and it's Rich Paul and it's just like okay now I'm gonna now I'm gonna eat cold steak you know that's <laughs> That's kind of what we uh, we end up dealing with. And that's the life. All right. You can read Sam's work over at The Athletic. Sam, thanks for taking a few minutes. I really appreciate you joining us on the Action Network podcast. You got it. Thank you, Matt. That wrap it up for this NBA edition of the Action Network podcast. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe. Check out all that stuff. Go to actionnetwork.com. Check out the best of information on DFS and gambling and all sorts of free agency analysis and baseball and football and fantasy and all sorts of awesome stuff. Check it out at actionnetwork.com and download our free app. I promise you will not be disappointed. Until next time, I'm Matt Moore. Thanks for joining me on the Action Network podcast.